0: Glory is coming in all its fullness, and we're going to see some of that even tonight. Let's join together in prayer before we look to God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank You for granting to us a glimpse into the future to be able to see Your great power and majesty and justice and to celebrate Your great love at the same time. Thank You now as we open this, Your Word that we have in view something that could challenge each one of us to be sure that we don't want anyone to have to go through what will be described in these words. So help us to have more of a concern, more of a passion for the souls of those that you put us in contact with, that you've put us in the same family with, the same job, school, team, whatever it may be. Help us to realize that what is ahead is very, very unpleasant if we're not ready. So we thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 8, opening the seventh seal. We've had some uh, delay in doing that, but now we're going to do that. I'm going to read only the first six verses now. We'll read the other verses a little bit later on. But Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, of course, that would be from John's perspective. John, whether he's transported into the future to see what's happening or whether this is a vision, uh, it's about a half hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Now let's stop right there for now. Revelation 8 begins where chapter 6 ends. For those of you that have been studying with us, chapter 7 did not really advance the action. It served as kind of a parenthetical interlude to some specific information of what would be going on in the tribulation, not necessarily in sequential order. The sequential order is in the judgments. It is in the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. Uh, The interludes may go on ahead a little bit further and give us a description of what may be taking place a little bit later on. So we are looking again at the sequence of the seven seal judgments out of which the last seal judgment emerges the seven trumpet judgments, out of which the last of those trumpet judgments will come the bowl judgments, the seven bowl judgments. So from having read chapter 7, we know of the 144,000 Israelites with the seal of God that we believe are going to be serving as witnesses for him during the tribulation. And out of that tribulation, many, many people will be getting saved. Now we're almost ready to get back to the action. But like this signboard, if you can't see it, it says, still a long way to go, kids. In other words, we're not there yet. The action isn't going to happen exactly yet. Six seals have been opened. Six judgments have been revealed. But now we've got a little bit of delayed action, and that was seen in those six verses that we just read. The good news is... That we see immediately in verse 1 of chapter 8 when the Lamb opened the seventh seal. So it is open now. The seventh seal is open. The interlude is over, but there's still a little bit of delayed action in front of us. So we're going to get to that action, but not quite yet. We still see several delays, several preliminaries before the trumpets are actually going to be sounded. And the seventh seal, having been opened, from that will emerge those seven trumpet judgments. So when the seal was opened, nothing happened. Nothing, that is, except silence. You may think silence is nothing. Maybe you could make an argument that silence is something. But in this case, we're looking for something to happen, and it's only silence. It says there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. There was an ominous calm before the storm. There was a tension that could be felt. You could call it a pregnant pause. There was something that was going on that would put us more and more on edge, wondering, okay, let's get on with it. We've already had a chapter delay. Now we have a delay when we get into what we think is going to be the trumpet judgments. 30 minutes of silence can be a very long time. This 30 minutes of silence is in heaven. Now, do you realize that heaven has been a very noisy place up to this time? If you've been with us in our study, it's been quite a noisy place. Some of the highlights we're going to see just very briefly right now. And what I'd like to ask you to do, if you're not inhibited, and some of us are inhibited, so just relax and enjoy what, what's going to be going on. I'm going to ask some of you to join us in four scripture readings in the same attitude, in the same spirit that these words came to us in heaven from the heavenly scene, which is quite loud and quite raucous. You'll see some words that will come up on the screen. They're words directly from the scripture. And what I'd like to ask you to do when I say together, let's say them as loud as we can if we're uninhibited. Are you with me? Okay, um, you'll, you'll, I think you'll see it'll be a little more clear as we go along. But we're going to make a little bit of noise as well. Okay, there had been a yoke, or excuse me, there had been a voice like a trumpet. And there had been rumblings and peals of thunder, four living creatures, day and night, who never ceased to be together. And they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That was a great practice one. We have three more and we'll get it better. There were 24 elders who joined them in great worship songs. Mighty angel proclaimed in a loud voice. There was a crescendo of worship involving the four living creatures and 24 elders and then the voice of many angels. It says numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying together with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, were also saying together, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. One more, and let's see how well we do in this one. Martyred saints are crying out in loud voices. All the angels, along again with the 24 elders and four living creatures, worshiped God, saying together, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then there was silence. Awesome silence before the great storm of God's wrath. And it reminds us, be still and know that I am God. find it all over the Scriptures. Psalm 76, verse 8, From heaven you pronounced judgment, and the land feared and was quiet. There's a huge connection in the Scriptures between solitude, quietness, stillness, and God exercising judgment. In Habakkuk chapter 2.20, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. And the judgment was there with the Babylonians in that case. In Zephaniah chapter 1, 7, be silent before the sovereign Lord for the day of the Lord is near. Talking in terms of the day of the Lord, when we talk about that, when we use that expression, we're talking about end times. Same thing in Zechariah two thirteen, Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. And when he has roused himself It is not going to be a pretty picture here on the earth. We're sure that events of monumental importance are about to take place. The tension mounts, and the silence becomes almost deafening, if I can put it that way. Think about the few seconds silence before the foreman of a jury reports the verdict, and we find the defendant... You have a little bit of tension there, don't you? You want me to say whether he's guilty or innocent, don't you? Uh, the defendant was Steve Darrow, and uh, he was innocent. Think about the few seconds before the new Miss America is announced. And the winner is Miss Sallanious, or whoever it might be. Think about 30 minutes that kind of silence. We're going to experience that. Let's experience that together now. 30 minutes starting now. How many of you think I'm serious? (laughs) It says about 30 minutes. About 30 minutes is up. How many of you were uncomfortable during that few seconds that we just did, wondering, is he, is he for real? Is he really going to do that to us? Thirty minutes can seem like a very short time, depending on what it is. But it is in one of the, when it's in one of those situations where we're awaiting a verdict or a judgment or something important to happen, it can seem like forever. Okay, it's after the silence now. Is it now time for the action? The 30 minutes is gone. Are we there yet? The kids would say. And the bad news to the kids is, um sorry, no, we're not there yet. Verse 2 mentions seven angels who stand before God. They're given seven trumpets. The tension continues to mount. There are two key words there. One of them is angels and the other is trumpets. The angels, do you notice that when it talks about the angels there, it uses a definite article. It talks about the angels And these seven angels seem to be distinguished as being unique among all other angels. Some call them the presence angels. The presence angels because they're angels who stand before God. Now, one of them may have been Gabriel because he's identified in Luke 1.19. He actually identifies himself to Zachariah as Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And so we've got a situation here. Silence in heaven. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God. There they were standing before him. They were in the presence of God. And what a great picture that is. And what are they doing? It tells us seven trumpets were given to them. We study the scriptures about trumpets. We find out that there's a lot said about trumpets. They're the most significant musical instruments in the Bible, uh, more so than harps, more so than any other instrument. Trumpets were used to sound alarms for war, for danger. Uh, there's a, an invasion coming on. Something's going wrong. the uh, The trumpets would sound. They were also sounded for peace when the war is over. They announced the new moons, the beginning of the Sabbath, even the death of somebody important. Whenever any of those things were to happen, the trumpets would sound. They signaled a public assembly. They signaled the giving of the law. They signaled or announced almost every important occasion. So when the people of God are reading something about seven trumpets were given to these seven angels who stand in the presence of God, they understand this is meant to be something very significant. Throughout the Bible, trumpets were used to prophesy important end-time events. For example, the rapture at the trump of God. That's going to happen. So something important is about to happen. Seven trumpets will signal more judgments. They emanate out of the seventh seal. What will they signal now? Nothing yet. There's still another delay. Verses 3 to 5 don't tell us of the trumpet judgments yet. They speak a prayer. So what's happening here in verses 3 to 5? Well, it says another angel Many of the commentators believe this is the Lord Jesus himself as the mediator and the great high priest. I personally find that unlikely because it's another case where it says this is another angel of the seven kind, the the seven of the, the ones that we've already seen, another of the same kind. Jesus is identified as the lamb in this whole context, not as another angel and certainly not as another kind, another of the same kind. So there we find the angel pictured standing before the throne with a golden censer presenting much incense, and the prayers of the saints are there before the throne. In the Old Testament order, the priest would burn incense on the altar, the smoke would fill the temple, and then it would ascend to heaven. The incense was always symbolic of worship, prayer, a reminder that when we intercede before the Lord, that pleases Him. Our prayers are a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Verses 4 and 5 seem to portray the truth that God is sending wrath on the earth in answer to the prayers of the saints. Same thing as chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, when that was happening. The angel's act of throwing this back to the earth reveals God's judgment is going to come in direct response to the prayers. He's a God who answers prayer. James tells us that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And this is prayer that is working on behalf of a a great number of people. The angel takes the fire off the altar, and it says he throws it to the earth. It's followed by peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. That certainly, by now, has got the attention of the Apostle John as he witnesses this, and any of the readers who are reading this, and any of us today. We've been slowed down so far by a half hour of silence, by seeing simply the proclamation that seven trumpets are given to seven angels, by seeing the impact of the prayers of the saints, By seeing an angel throw fire on the earth and thunder, rumblings, lightning, and an earthquake resulting, is it time now? No, not just yet. In verse 6, there is one more bit of preparation. If you look at verse 6, it's simply telling us that what is about to happen is that there is going to be a proclamation. It says, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And now with all of that in mind, let's read the next several verses, beginning with verse seven, because now we're there. You can tell the kids don't have to worry about traveling anymore. We've arrived. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed." The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. First trumpet, verse seven. The judgment, it says, hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown upon the earth. For those of you that can see the screen, you see an artist's conception of what that possibly might look like. The big argument Among the theologians that I would consider to be conservative evangelicals who would be very similar to where we are, the big argument is always how literally do we take all of these things? Is this something that is symbolic or is it something absolutely real? And is it something that we have to take the words at face value or is this John from a first century perspective describing what he is seeing in the language that he understands and conceivably it may not be exactly hell, it could be a a number of other kinds of things, but meant to be taken literally but through the eyes of somebody who is describing it. And that debate goes on and on. Uh, You probably understand I'm from the school that tries to take everything as literally as possible unless the text tells us that it is meant to be symbolic Or it is something that is absolutely impossible and it's clear God wants us to know that it is symbolic or allegorical in one way or another so we have the possibility here hail and fire mixed with blood thrown upon the earth that may have simply been God's intention and that's exactly what happened hail fire mixed with blood thrown upon the earth to accomplish the results that he wanted to could be taken completely literally or I also believe that it could be taken perhaps somewhat from John's perspective as a first-century individual describing maybe some things that would happen today that he knew nothing about at that particular time. I don't see it being allegorical. I don't see it being symbolic. I believe that God meant for us to understand these things are going to be happening one way or the other. The result, it says one-third of the earth... One-third of the trees and all the green grass were burned up. Nothing is said, though, about the roots being destroyed at that particular time because we will see some grass later in the tribulation that could have grown back. The locusts are going to be involved in that. I'm not sure how God did that. He could have done that in a number of ways, but some people are very skeptical of everything that is here, and they say, well, wait a minute, there's grass later. That negates this. This couldn't possibly have really destroyed grass. Grass must be a symbol of something else. Hail, incidentally, is frequently associated in the Bible with God's judgment. And so there's no reason for it to be different here. In Joel chapter 2, verse 30, just for an example, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. We see that some of these same things that are being done in Revelation are happening or did happen earlier in Scriptures. There's been a tendency, as I said, on the part of some to treat this judgment and this result as well, symbolically. One writer said this, what a great book this would make. And I guess he would have followed, said that would make a great movie. Another writer said, I hope and pray it isn't true. Can you imagine that? I hope God's word isn't true, uh, one writer is saying. Still another says, there is no power so great to do this. Well, that's, I think, limiting God quite a bit. There's no power that can do this. There is a power great enough to do it. In fact, God has already done it. Think about hail and fire and brimstone. There's a very obvious parallel between a number of these events and literal events that took place in Exodus. This conceivably could have been a parallel to the fourth plague in Egypt. And there's no reason not to take this literally. We think about Sodom and Gomorrah and the fire and the brimstone and everything coming down from heaven at that particular point. I think if we want to back away from this and say, you know what, this is too severe, this is too harsh, therefore I'm going to have to come up with a watered-down, diluted meaning for all of this. Uh, If that's the way we want to go, then that's the way a lot of theologians have gone. Taking this description literally... Some have tried to relate modern phenomena to what John saw through first-century eyes. How many of you remember Hal Lindsey? Do you remember Hal Lindsey, the late great planet Earth? Um, He had a great imagination, and i love to be able to see some of the things that he would put to it. Here's what what he says. Here he says, "...to John's eyes, unsophisticated as to ICBMs, the holocaust he witnessed looked like hail and fire mixed with blood raining down from the atmosphere." This devastation seems to be a massive nuclear attack, much larger than the first one described in the sixth seal of chapter 6, which obviously he also thought was a nuclear attack. With this massive loss of vegetation will come soil, erosion, floods, and mudslides. Air pollution will be immense. The smoke of the fire will fill the atmosphere, and the remaining vegetation will be unable to adequately absorb the hydrocarbons from automobiles and industry. Ecology will be thrown a will be thrown chaotically out of balance. Well, that's imaginative, but you know what? There's nothing to say that couldn't happen. This could be describing some type of a nuclear holocaust. It could be describing modern warfare. It could be something that is being described through first-century eyes, and this is what it looks like to him, or it could be the very words literally happening. Second trumpet trumpet judgment, verses 8 and 9, The judgment, something like a huge fiery mountain was thrown into the sea. And again, probably our imaginations are better than artists' conceptions. But if you picture that, that is going on, a huge fiery mountain thrown into the sea, the result, one third of the sea turned to blood, one third of the living creatures in the sea died, one third of the ships were destroyed. But then again, for those who want to argue back and forth, literally or not, this is the first plague in Egypt in view, water turning to blood. God's signature is on these horrors as we look back to the plagues in Egypt. You know, when an arsonist uh, creates a fire they sometimes will say well we can tell who it was which arsonist it was because of his signature that he leaves behind his mo uh, his modus operandi the way that he would do this uh, this certainly if if we want to take this literally we have on record God having done this same thing before and I believe we can take this judgment very literally also but that's not to say God won't use natural phenomena to bring that about this Huge fiery mountain could refer to a monstrous volcano, a nuclear explosion, a meteor, or anything else that could resemble a huge fiery mountain. There were some old movies. I didn't see them, but I've read about them. One was called Asteroid, another one Armageddon that may be more real than fiction at this particular time, at least in the in the effect that, that took place. Now, what some who who don't want to take this literally will do, um, for example, to make the mountain a form of human government. You know, now we're allegorizing allegorizing this, a form of human government, making the sea the Roman Empire, making the ships that are destroyed the church or organized religion, as some do. It's really playing guessing games with symbolic interpretation. We're left to say, okay, what could this symbolize? What could this mean? And we're left to say, it's up to your imagination or your imagination or your imagination. You can make it symbolize whatever you want to. Uh, personally, again, I'm much more likely to take it or much more willing to take it literally. Um, here's a, a, another uh Another quote from one of the sources he says to john's no, excuse me and um, i don't want to, i don't want to use that one just now, but what we're seeing here, the result uh, we've got a, a a difficulty here with all the things that are going on, and we come to the third trumpet judgment in verses ten and eleven The judgment, a great star blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and the springs. And now the fresh water is also affected. Not just the seawater, but now the fresh water. And the result, a third of the waters turned bitter. Many people died from the bitter waters. And the star even had a name. They called him Wormwood. That word Wormwood refers to the bitter herb, Artemisia absinthium. That was a bitter herb found in the Near East, mentioned elsewhere in the Scriptures carrying with it the idea of bitterness. So this wormwood, this great star blazing like a torch falling from the sky, called wormwood, and it's affecting people very adversely. And remember the word for star in the Greek. We talked about this one other time. It's the word aster, refers to any heavenly light-emitting body except the sun or the moon, because they have their own names. Anything fitting that description could be meant here. And again, Possibilities, without at all discrediting the literal nature of the Scripture. Could be talking about a burning meteor, a comet, even a fiery spaceship, parachuted illuminated bomb, biological warfare, drones, which are right now coming into massive significance, and who knows what's going to be going on here, but it's going to be ugly, that much we know. I'll let uh, Hal Lindsey weigh in right now again. Hal Lindsey says, it's another thermonuclear weapon which is a part of a series of exchanges between the nuclear powers. I'm not sure we're going to have too much of that going on because everything that I read says that once it starts, the countries that have the nuclear weapons are going to be able to destroy each other many, many times over, and it's not going to be a limited warfare at that particular time. Could it be a volcano on March 21st, 1823? A volcanic explosion in the Aleutian Islands caused the water to become so bitter that it couldn't be used at all. It's not unprecedented for wormwood to occur. Fourth trumpet, verse 12, the judgment. One-third of the sun, the moon, the stars were struck and darkened. And if you are able to see the screen here, it's just a, a a very basic decryption of how that might look. A third of the sun not there. And people will say, well, you couldn't possibly exist without a third of the sun. I don't know what's going on here with eclipses and everything else. We're not given a lot of detail. Uh, what we are given is the fact that this is going to be something that is going to be absolutely terrible. The result, one third of the day is going to be without light and also a third of the night. Reminded once again of a plague, the ninth plague in Egypt in Exodus chapter 10, involved total darkness. What has God brought judgment upon? Have you noticed that? Who are so far, what you would say, the victims of what's going on here? Anybody pick that up? It seems like every one of these four is intended to target Something that's the same. Did you pick that up? Nature. Do you see that nature is under attack here? Now people are going to be involved, but if you, if you look back over all of these things that are here, first angel blew his trumpet. The hill, the fire mixed with blood thrown on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. All green grass was burned up. We look at the second angel blowing his trumpet in that great mountain thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood. Uh, and, and that affected living creatures in the sea and ships. The third angel blew his trumpet. The great star that fell down, uh, the result... Was as we as we keep looking, now the fresh waters are becoming bitter, and yes, people were affected. They died from that. But the initial target is nature, and we see that again when we see the the stars uh, that are involved as well. Some of the later judgments are going to directly, more directly, involve people. But people can't help but be involved here. But God is targeting nature at this point. Interesting because people have typically responded in two incorrect ways to nature. And this is one of God's ways way to say, um, you've got to be careful how you relate to nature. One thing that we've done incorrectly, we've worshipped the objects of nature. All through the world, all through the cultures of the world and through history, people have worshipped nature. they worship parts of nature. A lot of sun worship has gone on in addition to other objects of nature. We've either worshiped those objects of nature or else taken God's creation for granted. And God demonstrates once again the powerful truths of his word. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Here's what John Walford says about that. He says, "...the first four trumpets deal with aspects of the physical world that are taken more or less for granted." The beauty and benefit of the trees, the luxury and growth of green grass are seldom occasions for thanksgiving to the living God. In a similar way, people are prone to take for granted the blessings of water, whether it be the beauty of the sea, the majestic flow of great rivers, or the pure fountains and springs which abound in the natural world. These, too, are gifts from a loving God to an undeserving world, and they come under the blight and judgment described in the second and third trumpets. And then we come to verse 13. And what do we say when we read verse 13? Oh, no. There is still much more to come. There are three more trumpets, and they're told, we're told about them, that it's woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. We've got seven trumpet judgments. The last three are separated from the first four and they are given woes so that we understand this is going to get worse. It's not going to get any better and it's going to continue. And out of that last woe, which is also the last trumpet, will come seven bowl judgments. The point we see, a point made over and over again, is that our life is And our time, as we view it often, maybe even unthinkingly, but it's kind of like a river going downstream, gently and lazily. But somewhere up ahead is a waterfall. Do you have that picture? We're floating gently, but somewhere up ahead there is a waterfall. We know that it's there. We don't know how far from it we are. Believers need to be alert. Unbelievers need to be believers. And we need to be alert, not just so that we understand what is going on, but we understand in such a way that those that God gives to us in our sphere of influence, in our families, that we're alerting them to what is coming on. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Now you know what? Substitute the word nightmare for those who are floating merrily down that stream and not understanding what is going on. There's a nightmare and a rude awakening ahead because the falls are there. And we can row our boat as long as we want to, but God has said, this is a picture. You get to read the last chapter of this book. You get to read it and understand what is going to happen. Having done that, What's the wise way to live, especially with regard to others? Now, we're going to abruptly, and I mean abruptly, shift into a celebration of communion. Because one of the things we're told to do, in communion even, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We can't go anywhere in the Scripture without it pointing to the fact Jesus is coming again we see it all over we see it in the communion service and so in just a moment i'm going to pray and i'm going to be asking each one of you to be praying as well because before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup we're supposed to examine ourselves so what we're about to do participating in communion is open to any one of us who knows the lord jesus christ as savior and is not living in defiant disobedience to him at this moment So you don't have to be a member of Alden Union Church, but you do have to be a member of the body of the Lord Jesus to participate with us. But as we do so, we're going to do something that is a little different. We're going to be singing while the elements are distributed. We're going to be singing some songs that remind us of the awfulness of the cross to remind us of the great love of the Lord Jesus in dying for us. So please keep that in mind, and we'll be able to to search our hearts. We'll be able to offer gratitude to the Lord for what is going on. I love what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Communion is something that we share together. It draws our hearts together. It's part of that great fellowship of the body of Christ. It says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless. Communion is a time to examine the purity of the body and to make sure that we've confessed anything to the Lord that needs confessing. And then it says, we do that before our God and Father, and we want to be able to have hearts that are blameless in holiness at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So we can't separate much of anything that we do from the fact that Jesus is coming again and Jesus' great love. So join me, please, in prayer right now. Our Heavenly Father, we pause to say thank you for giving us the truth and giving us the truth in advance. Giving us the truth in advance of what's going to be happening. We don't know when it's going to be happening, but we know the Lord Jesus is coming back again. And from all indications, the way our world is today, it wouldn't be surprising if it were soon. We don't know. We don't know what your plan and purpose is, and especially not the timing. But it certainly looks as if this world is headed for deep trouble and headed for a deep trouble in a hurry. So we want to be obedient to you and remember the death of the Lord Jesus until he comes back again. We want to proclaim that death. We want to do it until he does come back. So help us now in this next few moments as we search our hearts silently to take care of anything we need to take care of with you right now. So let's take a moment of silence in preparation for what we're about to do.